As founders, we're all familiar with the concept of an exit plan. Questions about it are a common refrain from investors, employees, advisors, or anyone else with a piece of the cap table that's hoping for a payout. But how much is planning part of the actual outcome? On today's Startup Therapy podcast, we'll discuss what you can actually plan for, what happens if you don't plan at all, or if you don't actually want to sell. This is Ryan Rutan from Startups.com, back for another episode of Startup Therapy Podcast, joined as usual by my partner and the CEO of Startups.com, Will Schroeder. We have no shortage of evidence around exit plans because we often end up being the exit plan for companies, having you know acquired, what, like six or seven dozen at this point? <laughs> it's, it's been a lot. And feels like it. Yeah, it's, it's interesting for us because we're in the business of helping people create startups, but you know, just lo and behold, with the amount of time that we've spent building this company, we've also been in the discussion with a lot of these startups. Hey, you know, you built a great startup. I think we'd like to buy it. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we're, we've been on both sides of the of the equation, which is kind of unusual, right? Most startups only see one thing, which is I'm building this one startup, and one day I'm hoping to sell. Uh, we've been on very much both sides of that discussion. So, I think we have a lot to talk about today. Oh, believe me, this is going to be a long one. Settle in, folks. Get your beverages ready. Let's do this. <laughs> so as we talk about, you know, the exit plan, right? And, and I think that this is something that gets kicked around a lot. Uh, you know, do I need a plan to sell? You know, what's my, what's my long-term plan? It's always funny to me because sometimes I'm hearing this, this question of, should I plan to sell this? And like, have you even sold one of your products yet? Yeah, <laughs> like, right. They're already, they're already thinking, <laughs> no, I like, you might want to think about selling something to a customer and then put a little more thought into selling. But, but it's still a valid question, right? Yeah, and I think I think people are concerned that if I don't have this sense for when and how I'm going to sell, if I don't have my exit strategy plan, that I'm you know less of a founder, less of an entrepreneur. And I think you know, Ryan, if we're going to have this discussion around planning to sell your business, I think we should start not with how do I talk to people about buying my business, et cetera, but more about are businesses bought or sold. And I yeah, think it's a great point. Yeah, I think that distinction is so powerful because most people listening to this podcast would have had no reason to ever have sold a business before. They haven't been through the process. And, and why would you, right? It's such right. a one-time event, right? Yeah. I think we should start with talking about the fact that businesses are bought, not sold, right? In other words, the motivation to form an exit is typically coming from who's interested in buying you, not just because you feel like selling. I don't think people yeah. understand how the sell process works. And you know, we'll, we'll unpack right. a little bit of that today. Yeah, right. It's not, there aren't just a handful of ready buyers at any given time. It's like, all I had to do was go to Home Depot, buy the orange and black sign, stick it on my business, and lo and behold, it sold. Yeah, this, just to, to, be, to be fair, again, there's no reason you would know this in most cases. And nobody else knows that every founder is figuring it out for the first time, but just a little bit of inside baseball. The way most acquisitions happen is that a buyer expresses some level of interest in your business and things escalate, right? Yep. There's a bit of a sense that the exit starts the moment I say, I'm ready to sell my business, right? <laughs> just like you're ready to sell your house. You know, you go to your, yep. your real estate broker and they put the sign up, as you said, and people start uh, sending offers in. By the way, there are versions of that that do happen, right? Sure. 
that sometimes involves investment bankers, sometimes it involves business brokers. There's some of that. But I don't think that's what we're talking about, right? No, no. It's not the vast majority of the deals that we see, for sure. Yeah, man. If you get so big that an investment bank is brokering your deal, right? A whole other discussion. Right. And if you're in the smaller side of things where you're trying to broker out your subway to sell to somebody, different discussion. I don't think we're talking about either of those. I think we're talking no, no. about average startup that's building something, in some cases raising money and thinking, hey, I got to exit this thing someday uh, to get liquid on it. But to be clear, what's going to happen in most cases is a buyer, most likely a partner, and we'll kind of get into this in a little bit, most likely a partner or somebody that you know will say, I really like what you're doing. I'd like to have a more detailed, in-depth conversation, right? Which often is code for, I want to start looking at acquiring your business. Yeah. yeah. How do we know this? <laughs> because we've done an awful lot of it, right? Yeah, so let's run down the list. I mean, we've done this how many times now, Will? Six. And those are just is the that ones all? that we finished. Yeah. Is that all? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's and that's come. an that's an important that's the well, both those are important points. But I think that's a really important um, aspect of this. The ones we finished, right? So correct. If memory serves, and we're at we've probably evaluated closely evaluated, like where we were to the point of, you know, some fairly serious dating, 40, 40 plus. Startups Absolutely. And, yeah. and I mean, think about that. Think about the threshold, even to get to that discussion, at which point folks are sending you their financials and you're having discussions with investors. Yep. You know, by the time you make it into true diligence where there's real sensitive information transacting, that's much further than, hey, this might be an interesting partnership. So to your point, Ryan, we've looked at 40 companies at, at true diligence process. We made offers on six and we bought six. So by the time we made offers, you know, things happen to go through. But man, we've been through the other side of this process an awful lot. Yeah, we have. And I think something important to a, a distinction here, and you've, you've mentioned the word partners a couple times. In none of these cases, did we come out of the blue and just surprise the hell out of somebody that's with an acquisition point. offer? Right? right. And, and I think that that's, that's something I think people think that like, well, I just need to, you know, I need to be growing, I need to be doing this, I need to be doing that. And then, then all of a sudden acquirers will show up at some magic point. It's just not really the case, right? These are going to be people that you know, that you have some relationship with. And in this, you yeah. know, in all, all of the cases that we talked about, the 40 that we evaluated, the six that we bought, we had existing relationships with the founders. So let's talk about it, Ryan. Well, first off, uh, if you wouldn't mind, can you just rattle off the ones that we bought so folks have some reference point? Are you saying you don't remember them? Uh, no, I don't remember at all. <laughs> I, I'm so shell-shocked and PTSD let's see. after let's go. all the let's diligence. See get them. Let's see if I can get them in the right order. All right. We've oh, got, wow. uh, let's see if I can get them in the right order. Credit. All right. So we've got, um, we've got Launch Rock, mm-hmm. and then I believe it was Clarity, uh-huh. and then Killer Startups. And then Zana, and then Zirtual, and what am I missing? Uh, Bizplan. Yeah. So there we go. So, so across all of those, some interesting things. And 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 folks, if you're if you're listening closely to this because either you're thinking about selling or you don't understand the sale process, I want to walk you through how a, a buyer, and in this case us looks at the process and it's not totally dissimilar to how a larger buyer or potentially a buyer in your space will do it. The first thing that that happens is the buyer is likely looking at their strategic plan 
in saying there's some aspect of what we're trying to do that we just can't do, right? I think people miss on this one because they're assuming, hey, we're doing something that's interesting to Google, ergo Google is going to buy us. Not necessarily. Before they get to that thought process, they say, we need this product or service in the market. Can we do it ourselves? Because doing an acquisition is a huge pain in the ass, right? It requires so much bureaucracy. Let's forget the, the, the cost for a second. Yeah, yeah. It requires so much time, so much bureaucracy, so many people to agree, not just on our side, but on their side as well. Yep. And even once we agree, it's got to go through legal and all these other hoops to actually get finalized. It could take 18 months to two years to ink a deal yep. versus investing internally and just building it ourselves. Right. And that's always been the discussion, right? That at the, at the very highest level, that is the two sides of the scale, right? And right. it's, which is going to be a bigger pain in the ass. If we've decided that strategically we need this and it has to exist within our business, are we going to build it? Or are we going to buy it? Right. And, and it's not an easy distinction to come to. Well, well let's walk through it. You know, I, I'll use an example of one of our own companies, a great company we bought called clarity.fm an amazing product that connects mentors and other founders, subject matter experts, to founders and startups that need their help. There's over 20,000 mentors on the platform. You can get on the phone usually within a day or two, uh, sometimes same day, with any of these experts or just ask them a question right online. I had now, a same day call on Saturday. That happens oh, amazing. all the time. Right, yeah. It's, it's an awesome service. I can brag about it because it's not a humble brag because we didn't build it. Right? <laughs> I tell people that all the time. I'm like, it's my favorite. And I can say that because it's not actually ours. Like we Yeah, exactly, right? In looking at that, as a startup platform, we looked at our strategic roadmap and we said, do we need the ability to connect our audience uh, to subject matter experts, mentors, et cetera? And, and Ryan, you remember this. It was like yes. top of our list, right? Yep. Of things that we needed. And so the first thing we looked at, like everyone else does, and again, this is important, can we build it ourselves, right? Clarity is not complicated, right? It's a database. No, it's not at all. Yeah, right. And a million people have tried to replicate it. It's a database of experts and an ability to call and schedule, right? Not super complicated. But for whatever reason, Dan Martell, in all of his infinite genius, the founder of the company, Figured it out. He hit yep. critical mass. He got enough buyers and sellers. He built the one platform that just works beautifully, right? So when we looked at the probability that we could replicate that <laughs> while we were doing all the other shit that we were trying to do to build yeah. our company, we were yep. like, not going to happen, right? And I think if you were Dan and you're looking at the other way, Dan Martell from, from Clarity, and you were to say, hey, I want to sell clarity to somebody, number one, you wouldn't know what our motivations are. You wouldn't know what's, exactly. what it's, what's on our roadmap, right? So the idea that I can just find a company to sell to, you'd have to know that that's even in their, in their crosshairs, right? Yep. And when people say things like, I'm just going to sell to Google, I'm just going to sell to Facebook, I'm just going to sell to, you know, again, I'm just using tech companies and you can use your own version of, of what's in your uh, industry. I think about that. I'm like, yeah, any idea what it takes to get on their radar, on their roadmap, <laughs> and into the part of the discussion yeah. where they actually want to make an acquisition? <laughs> like, yeah, you work at a big company, a billion users. <laughs> right. Exactly. How many right. billions of users do you have? Well, we have right, uh, right. We have a, a decimal percentage of a billion. What does that count it, for? Nothing. Exactly. Call right. Us later. 
so sticking with Dan and sticking with Clarity, we looked at Clarity saying, if we could do a deal with Dan, that would allow us to automatically have market presence and it would allow us to focus on other stuff, like basically take our resources and start working on the next thing that we needed to add to the startups.com platform without yep. spending three to five years to maybe build clarity, right? To maybe have that service. And again, Ryan, how many people have tried to replicate that service? So interestingly enough, you know, we get a lot of interest around our products and white labeling stuff, but clarity is by far and away the most active on that front. I'm not sure that a week goes by that I don't feel some sort of, hey, we'd love to white label clarity or, hey, will you sell us that technology or, hey, you know, <laughs> will you hand over your code base um, if we ask really nicely? And yeah, it's it, a lot of people, right? For a yeah, lot right, of different right. reasons. So here's the point. From our standpoint, so many stars had to align for us to even be interested in, in Dan's business, right? Yeah. From Dan's standpoint, when he, when he made the decision that, hey, I think it's, it's interesting to sell the business, he started to talk to different acquirers. We were one of them. You know, uh, we were in competition with other people. When Dan was looking at different acquirers, while some of them made a better strategic fit in some cases, or they were bigger companies that could potentially offer him more money, this is the part people forget about. It doesn't mean that any of those people were in a position internally to do that deal. That's right. You see, big companies, small companies, et cetera, they're not just sitting around with bunches of cash that they don't know how to deploy, unless you're Apple, but you know, <laughs> tons of cash <laughs> that you don't know how to deploy, right? Waiting for somebody to call them up to sell them something, right? Like these things take such a long time to develop and so many right. stars need to align for that ball to start rolling, which is why we're saying companies are bought, not sold, because the buyer, in this case us, has to have all of those things align in order for a buy to start. Yeah, There's an assumption that when I'm ready to sell, all of my potential candidates will all somehow miraculously have those stars aligned at the time that I'm willing to sell. Yeah. It doesn't that, work that way. Right? That's what's often that's one of the reasons why it takes so long, right? You may actually begin the conversation with your final acquirer, and it may take two years before they're in the right position where it's like it makes total sense, where they're clear on what they want, where they're clear on you being the right fit as a product or, or service and and being able to do the deal, right? And even if you meet them day one, it may take years before those stars, as you put it, align to the point where a deal can happen. Absolutely. And think of how many things have to align internally, especially at a big enough company to buy you, right? Oh, you man. have to have the executive buy-in. So let's say at the very least, you have to have the CEO. You have, you have to have whatever the other executive team members, often the CFO, the CTO. Now, yeah. let's say it was a tech product, right? Let's say it's a mobile app that you're trying to sell to a big company. Oh. The CTO is going to look at that. <laughs> and if it's like most yeah. CTOs, what's he going to say? Uh -huh. We could build that. Yeah, right? we could build this. We can do this ourselves. Right. Right. And so even though the biz dev guy was really excited to talk about your product and maybe do a deal, because that's sort of his job, right? Mm -hmm. The moment it got wrapped up into internal politics, it got kicked off for 18 months. 18 months later, we'll talk about when the CTO never delivered, as he often doesn't, uh, why we may be buying your product again. So many things have to happen. But the, the net of this part of the discussion, let's say, is that in order to take your product out there and, and sell it, you have to be able be aligned with a buyer at the right time and place, 
which is very rare. When we did the Clarity deal, Dan worked with us, and uh, it's it's worth noting Dan and I knew each other for ten years, you know, prior to doing the Clarity deal. We'll yep. talk about relationships and stuff maybe later on, but this didn't come out of nowhere. Dan and I talked for years about doing some sort of partnership or some other sort of deal together. So this wasn't it wasn't incidental. Dan didn't just decide to sell, and I came out of nowhere, right? Right. These things take a very long time to materialize. Well, let's drill down on that for just a second, because I think this is really important. This piece around relationships and and the things that we can actually plan for. Let's talk about how those things come about. Okay, so you mean like uh, our relationship with Dan, for example, right? Exactly. Okay, so again, I'm going to use the other side of the equation to prove the point, uh, Ryan, where we were talking to 40 different companies uh, as we were doing acquisitions. It's really important to note we're talking to 40 different companies over a five-year period, right? It wasn't like, you know, all in a year. And that most of those companies, a lot of those companies, if not most of them, we had relationships like we did with Dan for years longer before we even started startups.com. Sure. And let's talk right? about how some of those came about. So like we're, we're talking about people that we had looked at doing uh, co-marketing with, we had yep. looked at people that we were, you know, talking about licensing pieces of technology or, or, or sharing marketing budgets on, on co-built resources, lots of different things that led to those relationships at the very early stages well before, right? It wasn't like, oh, gee, five minutes later, we were like, hey, you know, we should probably talk about acquiring these guys, right? There was yeah. a long process and that's with good reason, right? You're, you're not just, it's not just about your strategic need for what that company offers. It's about understanding the company more, uh, more intrinsically, about having a, a true relationship with the founder because that has so much to do with the success and the, the ability to even pull off the deal in the end, right? Yeah, and I think in every case, either we're, we've sold something to somebody else, you know, uh, doing one of our own exits or, or buying somebody else's company, Number one, it was always the relationship. And, and I don't want to make this, this one an amorphous data point. Like, you should have the relationship. Let's talk about what it actually means to form that relationship, right? Yeah. Like, if, if yep. you want to grease the skids a little bit and get this going, let's specifically talk about what that looks like. What that looks like is finding people that you could work with, specifically folks that, again, might be your exit partners, and trying to build some sort of working relationship with them not calling them and saying, I want to sell to you, right? Yeah, sure. Like, doesn't make any sense. You call these companies and you say, I want to work with you in some basic capacity. You start to use that as an inroad to build a relationship with the key stakeholders there, Yeah, right? Who will change over time? You build a relationship with the person who's running BizDev, they leave to go to some other company to do BizDev, and now you're still building a new relationship with whoever they left behind, it may take you four years yep. to, to wind up getting to an exit point, and you might have gone through seven stakeholders right? right? through this one company. But the point is having a reason to do business together long before there's ever an acquisition, because that's, yeah, that's usually right. what it leads up to. Yep, that's interesting. Uh, that in, in my own case, with the acquisition of my first company, it was a competitive relationship that led to it. So it wasn't, uh, it wasn't something that we were cooperating on. Uh, we were actually competing and we managed to win out a couple of really, really big, like national level clients. And, uh, 
pissed them off just enough that they wanted to, they wanted to buy us. <laughs> that, <laughs> like, that works too. Yeah, it worked. It worked, right? We had a core competency in HTML email at the time that they didn't have. And we had the clients that, that they wanted. And so those two things led to, so instead of, instead of fighting us any further, they said, Hey, look, you guys are cute and you're, you're beating us out in these specific categories, but you know, we can do a lot more with those clients. So, uh, why don't you let us take you out of the equation and eventually agreed. Yeah. And look, when we call on uh, companies now, and again, we're still actively looking at companies, et cetera. When we talk to companies now, the first thing we say is, is there some way we can work together? Is there some way we can, um, whether we're, we're, we're uh, working with each other's leads and you know business opportunities, some software that might work together, you know, any kind of working relationship that we can have? Yep. Because what I've found time and time again is that what makes the relationship go just that one step further is that we actually like each other, right? You know, we it just helps. kind of enjoy, yeah, you know, we just kind of enjoy working with each other. And it would be fun to kind of explore something more interesting. Now, in some cases, again, maybe that doesn't exist. Maybe the person on, on the other end of the email or the phone isn't that interesting. They're not that much fun <laughs> and it's strictly business. Hey, that's fine too. Yeah. Yeah. But, my, but my point is, the relationship is what gets us over that initial awkwardness of, is this a bigger conversation than I think it is? And just say, hey, let's just explore it a little bit more, right? Yeah, I think it makes that part of it that much easier, right? So that, and again, it's not coming out of left field. It's, it's not something that, you know, is usually a huge surprise to these people. And again, because we have a relationship with them, entering into that conversation can be done in a way, and I think you've done a really good job of this in particular, happen in a way and at a time where they're most receptive to receiving that information. Yeah, you know, it's 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 interesting you should say that, Ryan, because my approach is always the same. I say that given what we do at startups.com, our mission is to help founders. So it would be awfully shitty of us if our mission was to help founders, but I'm equally going to try to screw you in my in my acquisition of your company. Right? It sort of goes against what we just do. send them the, the email that says we are going to buy you with just the gif of all your base are belong to us. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Like that. And so, so what that conversation looks like is, and I say the same thing every time. I said whether you sell to us or not, I mean, it is what it is. You make the best decision you need to make. All I can do is arm you with how this process works, right? Yep. So I can explain to you how acquisitions work. I can explain to you how valuations work. I can explain to you where you stand in the recipient list of the proceeds because most founders don't know, right? They don't yep. understand preferences That's in an right. investment. They don't, they don't yep. understand a lot of things, right? And I will tell you straight up, this could be a great deal for your company. It could be a great deal for us, but it's a shitty deal for you. Yeah. Right. And I don't yeah. mind saying that. Right. Because at the end of the day, you know, life is long and I, and I want to have good relationships with people. But what I do say is take the best deal regardless of whether it's ours. Right. We'll present it to you. We'll also tell you if our deal isn't your best deal. And we've done that on numerous occasions. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, now that I think about it uh, with Dan at Clarity, when we made our offer to him, he had another offer that was more money and Dan would have gotten more money off the table. And I said, Dan, as your friend, you should take that deal, right? Now, it ended up having some caveats that would have locked him up for too long. And, and once yeah. that came to the surface, like, well, Dan, at this point, I think you're, you, you know what the answer probably is because he wanted to go do other stuff. But I think the, the savvy way to, to walk people through the, the acquisition process is just to say, 
Here are the terms. I'll coach you on how to understand the terms and I'll trust you to make your best decision. That's right. Me. And I think yeah, that's worked pretty point, well for us. If it has, and we've got the, uh, the benefit of having six case studies that we can walk them through directly on. Here's exactly how this went. Here was what we thought from our side. Here was sort of the decision matrix on the other side of the table. It's similar to yours in this way. It's different in that way. And I, I think that helps to put people at ease as well, because we can sort of demonstrate very clearly how this has worked for us in the past. Right. And also, I think what happens is when folks take that understanding and that learning and they go look at other deals and they start to understand what some of these terms look like, like a lockup or anything else like that. Yeah, yeah. They st- they're just like, well, damn, like Will might not have been the best deal that was presented to me or startups wasn't the best deal that was presented to me. But at least I understand why now. Right. Right. Um, and, and I feel better about this. The decision. Yeah, that I'd be said, willing to bet that we we may not always be the best deal. Obviously, we haven't. Otherwise, we'd have acquired 40 companies at this point. Right. Uh, now, some we said no to. But um, I, I think the other side of that is that we were always the most helpful partner in terms of, <laughs> of moving them through the stages of selling a company. I doubt yeah. that we're getting that same level of, of candid advice um, and perspective from everybody else they worked with. But I think when folks were working through this process, uh, some things that were very consistent that I would give folks advice for to say, this is how you can kind of prep for sale. Yeah. Number one, I think people were very honest about what they were trying to achieve from the outset. And what I mean by that is yeah, yeah. not going into the first meeting, say, hey, Google, I'm here to sell to you, right? Not that. Here's what I want to achieve. I want to build this type of product for my users. And Ryan, this sort of echoes what you were saying a moment ago, which is, you know, uh, you you want to build a great product. Uh, you want something that people want. I think that if you step into the meetings and saying, look, like Dan did, for example, well, here's what I think Clarity can do. Here's what I think its purpose in the market is. Even if it's not all aligned with what you want to do, I think this is how big right. the asset is. And really explain to people the vision that you would have otherwise sold to investors, et cetera. I think that has a ton of value. And if you can give yourself a forum to have that discussion, I think that's where people's eyes start opening up and going, shit, there's more here than, than I would have seen at face value. Yeah. And I, and I think that's important too. And, and from the from the buyer's side, right, being able to, to clearly illustrate what the value of the asset is to you is really important, right? Because it, it starts to shed some light on, on you know, how you're going to come to that point of agreement. Because as you said before, as somebody who wants to sell a business, right, they may be somebody, somebody listening right now is probably thinking, oh, cool, I'm going to sell something to startups.com. And I hope that you do, because that'll mean that we found some real value in what you've got. Yeah. But what you don't understand is our roadmap and how that fits and what the value would be for us. And the value of a company, and I think this is where it gets really interesting, right? So the value when you're establishing a value for an investor may be nearly the same value for all the investors, right? Because they're looking at a cash in and a, and a cash return, right? But when you start to look at the value to different acquirers, there can be a huge disparity, right? Because it depends on the size of the audience that they already have that they can bring to bear against this new product or service or the quality or pain of the problem that this is going to solve when they acquire this company. And there can be a huge delta from one acquirer to another in in that regard. And I think this is something else that people forget. It's sort of like, well, the value of the business is this. It cash flows at that. It does this. And right, so here are the mechanical values in my company. And that's not necessarily what the acquirer is looking at and, and how they are doing the calculus on that problem. Absolutely. It's just one vector. 
And if we were talking about a progression, I think this could be helpful for some of the founders out there to understand. A progression on how you can build toward your exit plan with your partners. The first step, of course, is identifying folks that you think could be a worthy exit component. Now, that said, having some way to do active business with them or form a relationship with them is incredibly helpful, right? Yeah. Ryan, you mentioned your competitor, right? You know, we have relationships with a lot of our competitors, right? Sure do. Uh, you know, <laughs> some of some of the companies that actively compete with us, like I have dinner with them and their wives, right? You know, it's yep. uh, it, because at the end of the day, we're all just people, and you know, we enjoy spending the time together, and and I love other founders, and we give each other shit about you know, <laughs> how our companies are performing relative to each other. But if you can have a relationship with folks in any capacity, I think it's a, it's a real win. But from a progression standpoint, here's the way I've always seen it, and this has been pretty consistent. The first thing was identifying who those people might be, right? You'd be surprised at how few founders have done that. The second step would be then to reach out and come up with a reason to have any kind of relationship with some of those folks. Now, ideally, it's it's a, a working business relationship, right? It's something, hey, I'm going to call this company. I'm going to, I always use Google because they're kind of amorphous, but I'm going to call Google. I'm going to try to get a relationship and I'm going to try to do something where we can work together. Sure. It could be really lightweight. It could be we we announce each other in our respective newsletters. I mean, it honestly sort of doesn't matter. Right. You want to just establish some foothold within the organization to, to have a reason to really get to know each other, right? That's exactly it, right? You've got to have some, some ground to build from, right? And it really doesn't matter, to your point, how lightweight that is uh, once you have that. And again, I think that it needs to transcend the, the personal level, right? So it can't just be, well, I know this other guy and he's in my town or he's in my industry or whatever, and we've become friends. That's great too. But I think that your point around needing to make it some type of active, even a very lightweight working relationship goes a long way because that's where the companies start to add value to each other. And that's where, for me, the, the genesis of the opportunity for acquisition comes from. Okay, well, let's build on that. So I think once you start to build a little bit of a working relationship, and at its core, we're always talking about trust. At that point, you start to open the discussion where you go a little bit more open kimono with them, and you say, okay, we've done some things together, hopefully, maybe even they're not even successful yet. What are you guys trying to accomplish, right? Yep. What are your internal goals that we can maybe help with? And if, if you start to really understand the company, what are some of your challenges internally? Sure. Nine times out of 10, what's preventing them from moving forward with you has nothing to do with you, right? Sure. Uh, people forget that companies aren't just these, you know, kind of one-dimensional, faceless organizations that just operate like a machine. They're filled with a bunch of idiots just like us, <laughs> all trying to get stuff done, usually poorly, mm, yep. especially in a, in a big yep. company. And what you'll find out is, oh, you know what, our goal right now is to acquire more types of users like you have, but marketing won't release more budget for us to do it, so we can't move forward. Literally has nothing to do with whether your product right. is any good. It's because some, some random dude in marketing didn't allocate the budget, Yeah, right? right? What you need to uncover with each of those relationships is what their strategic goals are and what's preventing them from moving forward on those. And often it's yep. internal stuff that you can't fix right away. You don't have a handle on. I can't tell you how many times we've talked to a founder, uh, let's say at a company we wanted to acquire. 
but it turned out that we couldn't move forward on the deal because some random investor had a preference in the deal that wouldn't yeah. you know let the deal move forward or there's some bizarre partnership agreement they had tons of shit that unless you knew the company intimately you'd never be able to unpack yeah, no idea or more importantly address right right so again we talked at the, at the top of the show Ryan about this concept that companies are bought not sold and that buy process has to do with all these different things falling into place at the right time at that company to even have that conversation. Our job as founders is to get into that conversation. Our job as founders is to find out what's happening inside that company, what they're trying to achieve, what, what's breaking down inside that company, and figuring out where we fit. Yeah. Yeah, and often, you know, it's it's interesting, but you you touched on something there that, that I've found particularly interesting in a couple of our own acquisitions, and that's where there are things that they're trying to accomplish internally that they can't, right? And that may seem like a weakness to the founder at the time, but for the acquirer, they may go, hey, we've already got that piece figured out, so we can immediately drop in and, and, and add value. This is the acquisition analog to smart money. Right, where you've yes, got an exactly. investor who brings a huge network or biz dev relationships that you can immediately benefit from or some other leverage beyond the cash. And, and this is often the case. That can only come about when the acquirer has that context. And they can only have that context through a relationship where there's incredibly kind of open and clear communication um, and that just comes back to, you know, we talked about this in, in at least one other episode. We're talking about storytelling and the importance right. of that and the importance of being able to provide that context because that's where these tiny little connections start to form, right? These little synaptic connections where all of a sudden things start firing across from company to company and you start to realize the strategic value in one another. And that, again, like that's to me, that's the fertile, fertile ground for the opportunity for acquisition. Yeah, and I talked about the, the startup looking at the big company, let's say that you're that's trying to acquire you as this nameless, faceless, one-dimensional company. It yeah. works the other way too. Yeah. If the company trying to acquire you only knows you by your domain name and who the <laughs> name of the CEO is, that's not a, right. that's not a relationship, yeah. right? right? They need to know that you're a good person, that, that you've got a good team that they'd really enjoy working with. If you get the, the good fortune to bring you and your team into some discussions with their folks. So now people know people. And now, now those people will open up and say, man, we have no idea how to fix this problem. Yeah, right? If you guys could absolutely. come in and help us, huge opportunity. I watched this happen firsthand numerous times when, uh, when I was in the agency business. You know, We ran a, a large interactive agency in the 90s at a time when no one knew what the fuck they were doing right? Like <laughs> all these yep. massive companies. Yep. And most people hadn't heard the word internet yet. And so what we would do, and folks that are in consulting or the agency business would be very well aware, we would do anything we could to get our teams of folks on site at the client as much as possible. In some yeah. cases, actually taking desks and working. There, oh, yeah. Right. The embedded, re the embedded resource. Yeah. To go native. Right. Yep. And, and here's why. Because if we were fully reliant on our clients to determine what the opportunities, let's say, in, in the internet realm were at the time, we're asking people who have no business in the internet to begin with to make huge, big leaps to figure out what they should be buying in this internet world. Sure, right? sure. 
wouldn't it be a lot easier if we put our experts on their team to yeah. be asking all the questions you know, during lunch breaks of, hey, why aren't we doing this or why aren't we doing that? And more importantly, figure out actually why we're not doing it, right? right. And it'd be like, oh, and by the way, this is an actual response that came up numerous times. Because Jeff, the CTO, doesn't know anything about HTML, JavaScript, or you know, whatever, you know, lightweight language was, was, was big at the time. This is like mid-90s. And so he's kind of afraid of it. Holy sure. shit. That's why we're not, <laughs> that's why we're that's not, doing we're not moving forward. Yeah. Because he's yeah. afraid of his job. Right? Try Jeff away from his AS 400 and let's That's talk exactly about the what it was. Yeah. 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 And so, uh, what we learned was we weren't losing business or again, uh, let's, let's tie this back. We weren't not getting a deal done or an acquisition moving forward because our product wasn't good enough or we didn't raise enough venture, et cetera. We weren't doing a deal because we had no idea what was happening inside the very companies we're trying to sell to. Yep. So the goal is to make that happen, to start with relationships and start a, a, a dialogue where you just simply start asking, hey, what are you guys trying to accomplish and where are you stuck right now? You'd be sure. amazed at how, <laughs> at how many people will just flow at the mouth the moment you ask those questions. Right, in right. some cases, you'd be the dying to tell you. Yeah. Well, there's, there's a couple specific scenarios under which these relationships become extremely important um, because I, there's, there's often this misnomer that, uh, or misconception that a transaction is just a one-time kind of thing, right? You just, you, you go, we sell the company and then we wash our hands of it and we never have to worry about each other again. Right. Um, and, and you and I both well know, having been through this a number of times and having some deals that, that resemble these types of scenarios that's not often the case, right? It's, it's often not just a cash transaction, right? You may be doing something like, for example, an aqua hire, right? Where you, right. where the relationship with that person is actually a huge piece of the deal. But even if it's not an aqua hire, there may be a turnkey period. And so the relationship and the understanding of that individual is really important because you don't want to turnkey with somebody that you don't want to work with or somebody that's not going to do a good job of the handoff, somebody who's already checked out. And so understanding what their motivations are, what their challenges are, and whether or not the help that you provide through the acquisition is going to get them over that hump and help them help you to be a great acquirer. The other side, and that's that's us as acquirers looking at sure. the, at the existing founders, but flip that around and let's say you're doing an acquisition that's not all cash, right? You're doing a cash and stock, meaning that that founder who's selling their company has to have some faith that you as the acquirer are going to drive this thing to a higher level of success and help them leverage the investment that they're now making in you through selling right. you their company, right? Right. And without a relationship, how in the hell could you possibly parse that? Right. Right. Exactly. And mind you, there's something around timing that I think is really critical to talk about here. The probability that everyone's going to want to buy the moment you're ready to sell, we talked about this a moment ago, but I want to bring this up yeah. again, is so unlikely. So yeah. as founders, if we're thinking about, hey, this thing might get sold, we basically have to prime the pump for what might be years, by the way, with multiple parties in hopes that we might sync up with one of their, their, their buy moments at the time they're ready. Because they're not just infinite. Companies don't just sit around and say, we're willing to buy companies whenever we feel like it in these markets and we'll just pull the trigger whenever. It may, it may sound like they can, but the internal politics don't really allow for that, right? right? There's so many things that have to happen. The only way this works is if you get on folks' radar so that once the stars align, you're actually in position to do it. 
Yeah, and that totally makes sense. You know, if, if you're in a position where you're thinking like, I want to start now, but let's 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 back up for just a second and let's get let's get a little heretical because this is probably not something that most of our audience is going to align with immediately. What if you don't want to sell? Yeah, imagine that. <laughs> right? Like what, what happens in that scenario? And and can that scenario exist? What are the conditions for it to exist? Well, let's divide it into two camps. Let's talk about your a camp A is you have the option to not sell, right? Yeah. Most likely you own the whole company. Or B, you don't have the option <laughs> right. to hold on to it. In which case you have to sell, which means you have any stakeholders that are breathing down your neck, investors, shareholders, et cetera, that need to get liquid on this company, right? Yeah. So if you're, if you're an A and you're like, hey, I don't need to sell, by the way, pretty strong position to be in. Yeah, it's fantastic. Right? Because, uh, again, maybe the company becomes just a cash engine and you're taking distributions forever. And it's just an incredible place to be. Right? Uh, you, you're in the, the rarefied air of folks like Basecamp or MailChimp, which just are in the money printing business. Right? Yep. And, and you get to run that path. Right? If that's your problem right now, you're probably not listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> right? What we're probably talking about is, uh, is, is the other camp which is I have stakeholders that you know need to, to get liquid at, at some point. I have debt, what have you, but I just don't really want to sell this thing, right? Yeah. Now, those folks are expecting you to have an exit plan, right? <laughs> uh, because they'd like to have an exit plan. But just for what it's worth, I think we should just touch on this for a second. There's different ways to exit the business without selling it, right? Yeah. Uh, and I'm talking about buying back the stock, I'm trying to remember. I think it was Wistia that did that. Uh, I can't remember if, if if you Google that Wistia W I S T I A, who did a massive buyback, which was really interesting. I think that there's an opportunity for folks if if they don't want to sell, even if they're saying, "I just I don't want to be worried about this shit right now." Right? I just want to go and build my product. Ryan, I I think you'd agree that's not a bad place to be. Like like no, if you not just at all. Wanna, go heads down, right? You were talking about yep. that earlier. Like maybe that's the right move. Yeah. If you're, if you're in a position where all you're worried about is just building that better and better product and you're enjoying doing it and it's providing you with whatever resources you need, whether that's time, money, whatever it is for your life as the founder, then you may be in that position where you're saying like, look, I, maybe I could sell, maybe I don't want to, I don't need to. And I have the ability to, to avoid doing so should I choose to. Uh, yeah, Wistia actually did something really interesting. So they they took on debt as a company, which is is something you won't you won't hear of a lot of companies doing. Just like super, you know, happy about taking on debt. They were quite happy to take on debt. They took on like, it was seventeen or eighteen million dollars. I don't remember exactly. Yeah, I remember it was in that uh, ballpark. Yeah, seventeen eighteen million dollars to do a to do a buyout of of their existing investors, the ones that were pushing for an exit. I don't know that they bought all of their stock back, but they bought out everybody who was making noise about wanting to push for an exit. And in doing so, took on debt, which they have to service, um, but are able to maintain and run the company and, and not have to worry about exiting right now because they're just working on building a great company. You know, uh, when we did our acquisition, some of those we did with all cash, some of those we did cash and stock. Yeah. But with those that we did some stock deals with, we have folks that are essentially shareholders in our company. Uh, and yes, they ask us all the time. <laughs> yeah. Those folks are my friends, you know, yep. uh, you know, it's we're at dinner and they're saying, we're going to sell this damn thing. We, uh, you know, we'd love to see some money. And, and I, I always give them the same answer. I said, I would love to see it even more. 
right? You know, right. As, as a shareholder in the company myself. I said, but well, here's what I say. I said, it's not that we don't want to sell the company. You know, we don't hate money. It's just not time to sell the company. And, it, and then they'll right. invariably ask, well, when is it going to be time to sell the company? And I always tell them the same thing. When people start calling us with amazing offers. Right? <laughs> that's right. That's, right. I mean, that's kind of what it comes down to. We have relationships and just in everything that we talked about with all of the folks that would have an interest in us. But our focus, I think, is the right focus, which is we're just heads down building the product, increasing revenue, increasing what's essentially value. And we believe that we've already established the relationships. When the stars align, that the folks we've established relationships with align with the amount of value that we've created at a price point that we care about, then a deal gets done. Right. That's right. Short of that, there's not much to think about. No, keep our heads down and keep building the product. Right. Yeah, we've already right? talked so, about it. Deciding you want to sell isn't going to create buyers. Correct. And deciding right. that you don't want to run the company anymore, same thing, right? Like you're not going to all of a sudden generate buyers because you're tired of running the company, right? Building a great company with a great product, having those alignments with, with good partners, doing everything you can to understand their businesses and help them be better and better at what they do, having some insight into the strategic alignment. That's what creates the events. That's what creates the opportunity for the events, right? This isn't, right. This isn't quite like making a fire where with enough friction, flame will start, right? So many more factors have to be true. And so it's just about, you know, it's like any relationship, being the right person, doing the right things, being involved with the right people, and then hoping that something else comes out of that. But it's not a given. Yeah. And, and so you know, to reiterate, I don't think it's a matter of having an exit plan per se. I think it is a matter of connecting with the folks who an exit could be likely with someday, but being constantly connected so that when their stars align, you're in the right place to have an exit. That's a wrap for this episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan on behalf of my partner, Will Schroeder, and all the Startups.com family thanking you for joining us. And we hope you'll continue to join us. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and comment on iTunes or wherever you love to listen to Startup Therapy. You can find all of our episodes at Startups.com slash podcast. If you're looking for more amazing resources to launch or grow your startup, be sure to head to startups.com and check out Startups Unlimited. It's everything we have to offer, from our online university to our amazing community of experts and founders, and even all the tools we've built like BizPlan, Fundable, and LaunchRock. It's everything a founder needs. Visit startups.com slash begin. That's startups.com slash B-E-G-I-N. You'll thank me later. <laughs>